You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. deals with teaching the older men, teaching the older women, teaching the younger men, and teaching the younger women. And you know what the consistent thing he wants them to teach? He wants Titus to teach to all of those old and young? I circled it. I circled it in these verses, verses two two through six. You know what it is? Here's what I've circled. I know you can't see it. I'm going to tell you what it is. Self-control. 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 Every one of them. In the book of Titus, Paul encourages Titus to teach self-control to all believers, regardless of their age or gender. On this earth, many of our decisions will be made based on temporary desires and pleasures. Today, Pastor Danny encourages you to use self-control in your everyday life. Don't just do whatever pops into your mind, or listen to the first piece of advice you get, or buy whatever product was just on the commercial. Seek Jesus and His will for your life, rather than temporary and meaningless indulgences. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Revelation, chapter 14, as he continues his message, Undefiled and Blameless. David learned his lesson, but it was a hard one. And there were scars the rest of his life and scars with his family. But he did learn. He did learn. You know, just as there are examples of blots and blemishes on the record of the saints we have in the Bible, have you ever thought of the other side of the coin? Well, if not, let me help you out. There are some saints in the Bible that you don't have that kind of thing. If God's going to tell the truth about David, he's going to tell the truth about everybody, right? Let me, let me throw some names out. Abel. Remember Cain and Abel? First two sons of Adam and Eve. Cain killed Abel. But you read the record in Hebrews, and Abel was offering sacrifices pleasing to the Lord. And now, one advantage of dying early, if you will, Cain killed Abel, and that's tragic. But, you know, Abel got out of here without an opportunity to make more, make any mistakes, you know, like others did. You know, he got out of here, you know. And, as, you know, there's kind of an advantage to leaving early. <laughs> I don't want to leave early, but I guess, well, it's too late for me now anyway. I can't leave early. <laughs> and once you're my age, you're not going to leave early. But Abel, there, there, there's no lot. There's no blemish. Enoch. Enoch, he walked with God. And that was in a day they lived a whole lot longer, a whole lot more opportunity to mess up because you got more time to do it. Enoch walked with God, and God was so pleased with him, he said, come on home. Samuel, Joseph, Joshua, Esther, Mary Magdalene, out of whom Jesus cast seven spirits. And after that, you find no blot or blemish on her record. She was there at the tomb. 
She was the first one Jesus appeared to after the resurrection. Mother Mary, the blessed mother. She is the blessed mother. She's not sinless like the Catholic Church teaches, but she is the blessed mother. And there's no blot and blemish on her record. Timothy, the apostle Paul. So just as there are those that you, you look at in the Bible, and you go, they made terrible mistakes. Thank God he forgave them. But, but there's still blots and blemishes. Let's go back to our text just for a minute. Revelation. What's the characteristic described? What's the characteristic of this special group? Here's what it says. Last verse we read. They are blameless. They are bl- they're not sinless, but they are blameless. And there are two areas. Before I shut up, there are two areas it mentions they were blameless in. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. What a victory. (laughs) Oh, man. What, What a great thing to be able, when you commit your life to Christ, and after you commit your life to Christ, there's no blemish that you have given yourselves to any sexual sin. That's quite an accomplishment. If that doesn't give you a privileged position, I don't know what else would. Again, it's not self-righteousness. Not self-righteousness. But it is an accomplishment by faith and by commitment and by sacrifice. And, And here's the good news. It can be done. I know you're looking at me like, oh, it can't be done. It can be done. You can be victorious. Over sexual temptation. I'm going to give you the three biblical ways to be victorious over sexual temptation. I'm going to do it quickly because they're not hard to understand. The problem is not understanding them. The challenge is doing them. You know what the first one the Bible says? How to escape sexual sin? Run! Here's Joseph. He's 17 years old. He's been sold into slavery in Egypt. I mean, you talk about a terrible thing. He's done nothing wrong. He has dreams given to him by God about his future, and it's a glorious future. He tells his brothers. He tells his mom and dad. His brothers hate him. Even more, they already hate him. They sell him into slavery. He's 17 years old. So far from home, he's in Egypt. God's providentially uh, blessing him, but he doesn't feel blessed. He's working for this guy Potiphar and his wife. His wife takes note of Joseph. Joseph, 17 years old, and the Bible tells us he was well-built and handsome. He was a biblical hunk. And she is trying, this wife of his master is trying to seduce him. Imagine that. How many 17-year-old guys? I, I mean, I'm talking even Christians. 17-year-old guys, you have been so treated so terribly, and you now have been sold into slavery, and you're in another country somewhere, and there's nobody else around, and you got this woman throwing herself at you? I mean, you need some love. If anybody needs love, this 17-year-old Joseph does. But he refuses to go to bed with her. And she sees a prime opportunity now after repeatedly trying to seduce Joseph. One day, the servants are now out of the room, and now it's just her and Joseph. And she comes and she grabs him. I mean, imagine, she grabs him. Come to bed with me. You have to run. That's exactly what Joseph did. He ran. 
And she kept his cloak. I mean, he runs in his outer cloak. And she ends up with it. She lies to her husband. That Hebrew, Hebrew slave, he tried to make sport of me. In other words, he tried to rape me, which was a lie. And for doing the right thing, Joseph gets sent to jail. He said, I did the right thing. How come it's so hard? Because you did the right thing. Flee. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. New Testament says it no differently. Flee sexual immorality. Now, I need to make one quick note. So that's your first point, flee. But if your heart is not right, you're not going to run. I'll just note, you can write it down. Matthew 15, 19. Out of the heart come evil thoughts. Murder. Adultery. Sexual immorality. Theft, etc. See, if your heart is not right with God, you don't need the points I'm giving you. Because you're not going to run until your heart gets right. See, you want to be pure. That's where your heart is so essential here. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. Your heart. If my heart is right, then I want to be pure. And when your heart is pure, then, 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 then you run, run, flee. Second, flee, fortify, fortify. Bible says, fortify my mind. Romans 12, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Lust, sexual sin. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Philippians 4, 8. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Philippians 3, verses 18 and 19 says, those who don't know Christ and are living for this world have their minds set on earthly things, earthly things, earthly things. So my mind, which is connected to my heart, flee, fortify my mind, my mind, my mind. That's why this morning, for my sake, not your sake, for my sake, I read the word. Not the scriptures I'm teaching other scriptures in my regular Bible reading plan. Why? Because I need the word to get my mind right, to keep my heart in tune. We need the word, the word, the word, the word, the word. So fortify my mind. Second, fortify my body. This is it's a challenge to fortify your mind. It takes discipline. And listen, the older you get, every birthday, it's going to take more discipline to fortify your body. One of the things that I love the fruit of as a 61-year-old man is exercise. One of the things I hate as a 60-year-old man, 61-year-old man, is exercise. I used to look forward to working out. I, 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 I see the, the product at the end of the other side. Hopefully, I, hopefully, you know, somebody asked me the other day, do you work out? I almost like don't know how to answer that. It's like, no, I just naturally look this good. <laughs> I mean, what do you say to that? Because you know, what are they thinking? You must not work out. And, and I don't want to, you know, if you, I do work out, and if I don't look like I work out, something's wrong. In other words, if I look bad, imagine how bad I'd look if I didn't work out. God told Cain, who killed his brother Abel, Sin is crouching at your door. You must master it. Now, this is not a carnal kind of thing, but it is biblical. 
Because 2 Peter 2.19 says a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians 6.12 said, I will not be mastered by anything. And then he said in 1 Corinthians 9.27, I beat my body and I make it my slave. Now, he's not literally beating his body. He's talking about self-discipline, self-discipline. 1 Corinthians, it's all over the Bible, all over the New Testament, especially 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5. It is God's will that you should be holy, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his body in a way that's holy and honorable. Learn to control his body. I find it interesting when you read practical instruction like in Titus chapter 2. In Titus chapter 2, Paul is telling Titus, here are the things you need to teach the church. Teach the church. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. I just want you to see what happens here that's so practical. He deals with teaching the older men, teaching the older women, teaching the younger men, and teaching the younger women. And you know what the consistent thing he wants them to teach? He wants Titus to teach to all of those old and young? I circled it. I circled it in these verses, verses 2 through 6. You know what it is? Here's what I've circled. I know you can't see it. I'm going to tell you what it is. Self-control. 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 Every one of them. Teach the older men to be self-controlled. Teach the younger men to be self-controlled. Teach the older women to be self-controlled. Teach the younger women to be self-controlled. There never comes a time when you don't maintain that because the day you don't maintain that is the day you walk out on your balcony and there's Bathsheba. I say it every time. I'm going to say it again. When you read the record, It says, in a time when kings go off to war, David stayed home. And he went out on his balcony. You know when the time kings go off to war? Well, it tells us in the text, if I could take you to it. It was in the spring. I'm not trying to be funny. It just is what it is. You know when so many people fall? Especially guys, girls too, in the spring. When you like David, take a break. Spring break. (laughs) Taking so many down. But it doesn't matter what time of year it is. Flee, fortify my mind, connected to my heart, and my body. Develop and maintain self-control. Self-control. One of the best pieces of advice my friend Carl Dixon, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Sarasota, gave me years ago. He said, he said every day I try to do one, at least one thing I don't want to do, and every day I try to do something I don't want to do and not do something I want to do. It's that daily self-discipline, self-control. Flee, fortify, and then number three. Fight the battle daily. Simple, (laughs) but challenging to live. Flee. You better run. And if your heart is pure, run, run, run. Look, let's get real practical here. You're going to be in that apartment. You're going to be in that condo. You're going to be in that house alone with them. 
Now, if it's your biblical wife or husband, yeah, I'm talking about it's your girlfriend, it's your boyfriend, it's your fiance, and you're going to be alone with them and you're going you're to not fail? Well, if you can do that, you're a better man than me. Let me tell you. Because it's a natural God-given drive. Look, we need to point out, sex is not the problem. We're the problem. God created sex to be enjoyed in holy matrimony. And why is sex outside of marriage sin? Some people don't understand this. Well, because God said so. But, you know, come on. Let's be, how do we understand this? Why is it sin? For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ of the church. And then at the end, I'm talking to you, Paul says, about Christ and the church. The living human illustration of the relationship between Christ and his church is to be the husband and the wife. The husband and the wife. To be real technical, as Christians, we're just betrothed to Christ. There hasn't been a wedding. There hasn't been a physical union. The physical union, where you come together physically as husband and wife, is to represent when Jesus comes or we go to be with him and we're with him physically. And so sex, the most intimate thing you can do with another human being is to illustrate and point to the relationship that we will have with Christ after this life for all eternity. It's an all-expenses-paid honeymoon with Jesus. And you have to wrap your head around it by faith, especially us guys. It's better than earthly sex. You go, really? How could it be? It is. It is. Flee, fortify, fight the battle daily. Now, I want to give you one practical point before I bring it to a close. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul the Apostle says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost, notice this, all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, including sexual impurity, with a continual lust for more. And here's the practical point. I found it in Mark Batterson's book, If, that I'm reading right now. And let me just read you one little section here that he talks about something that, unless he explains it, you have no idea uh, what he's talking about. You ever hear of the law of diminishing marginal utility? Good, because neither have I until I read this. It sounds so fancy, the law of diminishing marginal utility, but it's really quite simple. At some point, more is less. As you increase consumption of a product while keeping consumption of other products constant, there is a decline in the gain you derive from consuming each additional unit of that product. Mark Batterson says, I tested this theory with Haribo gummy bears for many years. And I can confirm that it's true. The more you consume, the less you enjoy. The law of diminishing marginal utility is one more reason why fasting is so powerful, so important. And not just fasting, but feasting. The Bible prescribes both. 
The problem with our supersized culture is that we feast all the time. There's a name for that, gluttony. If you indulge in whatever you want, whenever you want, you'll enjoy it less and less. And it'll be harder and harder to satiate your hunger pains. Just one of the practical reasons why self-control in all areas of life, but especially in the area of sexual temptation. God wants us to be satisfied and full of joy. And self-control is part of the path to that joy and that kind of life. So one of the things that they're commended for, Revelation 14, this special group of 144,000 Jews, they are those who did not defile themselves with women. They kept themselves pure sexually. And then the second one, and I'm not going to scare you. I know what time it is. There's a clock right there. No lie was found in their mouth. They are blameless. No lie was found in their mouth. There's no hypocrisy. There's no hidden sin. John 3, 19 through 20. This is the verdict. Jesus says light is coming to the world. He is the light of the world. But men love darkness rather than light. And those that love darkness will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. If you have a problem with pornography, I don't believe you'll be free until you open up with somebody you love and somebody you can trust. Find another brother in the Lord and tell them, I got a problem here. I got a problem. I need help from God and I need help from you. The three-chord strand is not easily broken. We need accountability in a good way. Don't keep sin hidden, hidden, hidden. One of the pieces of the armor that God provides for us is called the belt of truth. The belt of truth is not the word of God. That, that's not the word of God. The belt of truth, it's no hypocrisy. I like to say the belt of truth keeps our spiritual pants up. What you see is what you get. No hidden sin. Nothing lurking in the darkness. Paul said, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband to Christ so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may be somehow led astray from your pure devotion to Christ. If you've been led astray as a Christian from your pure devotion to Christ, today's the first day of the rest of your life. Would you confess it? Would you get it right with God? Would you determine from today moving forward, you get the past under the blood. If there's something you need to confess to another brother or sister, if you're a sister, I recommend Confession to a sister that you love and you know and you trust. If you're a brother, I recommend confessing to a brother. And then move forward without the guilt, without the shame. And move forward beginning to live now in victory. Because the day's coming. We're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And you want to hear him say, Good job. August 12th. 2018, you made that decision. 
and it was a new day for you. Good job. We're so glad you tuned in today for Pastor Danny's message in the book of Revelation. If you missed any part of today's teaching or would like to explore more of the messages from this series, visit ccfstpete.church and click on Sermons. You'll be directed to our YouTube page, and we'd love for you to subscribe. When you do, you'll be notified by email every time we post a new message. We'd enjoy connecting with you on social media, too. Find The Living Word on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and jump into the conversations there. Find links to all of these at our website, ccfstpete.church. And if you happen to be in the St. Petersburg area, we want to meet you. Every message you hear on the Living Word comes from a teaching Pastor Danny has shared at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, and you're invited to join us for our weekly services. Our church is filled with imperfect people, being made holy by our perfect Creator, and we know that you'll fit right in. Join us on Saturday at 6 p.m. or Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. to worship God, read His Word, and get to know each other better. Find directions at our website. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. With that, our time with you has officially come to an end. There's much more to learn from the pages of Revelation, so we hope you'll tune in again, right here on The Living Word.